Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hi, James. Hey, Scott. You know what time it is? It's uh, Happy New Year time. That's right. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's time to talk about the fundamentals of, of finance. 2020 is uh, it's time to win. Yeah. Time to get it right. Mm-hmm. Maybe keep doing it right. Let's do this. What can I look at? So if I'm going into 2020, it's a new year, new decade even. Um, we talk a lot about kind of more in-depth subjects, specific yeah. detailed things. Mm-hmm. But what if I just want a high level? What what are maybe a few things I should be focusing on to make sure that I'm just I'm winning with money? I'm doing the right things to do essentially what I should be doing. Yeah, I actually think that this is a great exercise that um, – People could actually sit down with pen and paper and give themselves a quick grade to see how they're doing on this one. Awesome. Yeah. What's the exercise? Give them a scorecard. So today we're going to talk about, um, so the friends over at the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners have what they call the five fundamentals of fiscal fitness. And today I want to go through that and um, we can talk about what they are. We could probably link back to some episodes that we've listened on if people want to want to learn more. Mm-hmm. And uh, people can give themselves, like, kind of take this moment at the new year to see where are you and what steps are you going to take to improve upon your finances this year? Yeah, definitely. Sound good? Sounds totally good. I like it. Okay. Also, these five fundamentals, they truly are the fundamentals. So I like that we're bringing them up because if people consistently improve upon these things, so much in their financial life will get better. Yeah. Doesn't need to be complicated. Can be very straightforward and simple. Yes. As simple as possible without being simpler. Um, so let's talk about the fir- first one. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm eager. It's good. Pay yourself first. My gosh. Right? You're a genius, Scott. Tell me more. I know, right? Like, like wh- why didn't we think of this? <laughs> we actually did in episode five, um, <laughs> where we talked about how much you need to retire. But, uh, you know, all too often we get so caught up in doing things and just living life. And if you don't set set it up so that you're paying yourself first, you're probably going to not save. Yeah. And not just even caught up in life, although we do certainly. Um, but then even when we do dedicate the time to thinking about money or, or kind of financial planning, we want to know what stock do I buy? What's the market going to do? What are, you know, we, we look at all these things when it just comes back to, look, are you even paying, are you even saving the right amount? Are you even managing your cash flow in a way that you can save and invest so that those questions become relevant? Uh, but it starts with paying yourself first. If you have the coolest car ever, it will not go far without gas in it. Right. And that's what the savings rate is. It's your gas. Yeah. Right. End of the day. So we, I think we talked about it before, save at least 10%. Of your annual income, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, when we're talking about that, does that mean like, should I save that to my emergency fund? Should I save that to my home purchase fund? Um, or is that, hey, you need to save that. That's kind of your long-term savings rate. So I think that long-term, if you always keep it at 10%, you're probably going to be okay in my mind. If you start at the age of 22 and 
Save 10% your entire life. You're going to be ahead of pretty much every person out there. Um, Where it should go is going to depend on what you need, right? If you don't have that extra thousand or 2000 bucks sitting in a savings account, well, you might want to go save it there first. Yeah. Right. And then once enough's there to be okay, then you probably want to go turn on that spigot, make sure you're getting that uh, match at at your 401k if it exists or Mm -hmm. get that benefit of your HSA company contribution and do all of those things to help you get there as quickly as possible. Yeah. I think it can start, like you're saying, it can start with emergency fund or things like that, but as quickly as possible, get that 10% to long-term savings, 401k, Roth IRA, stuff like that. Um, Let that compounding magic happen, which is another episode we talked about. Yep. So shout out to episode something. Don't even remember the episode. I don't either. I feel bad for that. I feel bad for that episode right now. Um, (laughs) but, But, you know, to your point though, in all honesty, if you're a younger listener, there may be a time when it makes sense to save a little bit less to retirement assets because you're trying to save up for a down payment on a home. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really just looking at make sure you're consistently saving to build assets. Right. Right. And where you go put those, those funds could change depending on when, when, uh, what phase of your life you're in. Right. But if you can build the good habit to save at least 10% or more to something, you're going to be doing great. You're, you're in a great spot. Yeah. If you're older, you probably need to save more yes. just as a caveat. Yes. Um, okay. So anything else you want to say about paying yourself first? Uh, no, I like it. One for five, I'm uh, 20% of the way towards financial freedom. Right. So so the way I think of it is like put put down for yourself, how would you grade yourself? Like if, if a teacher is looking at you, they're oh. going to give you an A or they're going to give you an F on this one. Wow. <laughs> right. And then write down on the notes, if you're, if you're not getting the grade that you want, what is one step that you can take to start making an improvement now? It's probably automating savings somewhere in your life. Very simple. Yeah. Uh, okay. So number two. Have sufficient liquidity. Mm. Remember, liquidity just means you have cash the moment you need it, and you don't have to go into debt to get it. Mm-hmm. So I've got a, I've got a big four hundred one k. Why would I need cash? Like why why do I need cash in the bank if I've got a, I've done a good job of doing number one? Um, tell me what I'm missing here. Yep. So um, it's really just you know you lose your job mm-hmm. and you still have to pay your bills. Yeah. How are you going to pay them? Yeah. Now I actually am not a huge fan of having a huge amount of liquidity outside of retirement accounts and ta- and other accounts. I actually don't think that th- I I'd be interested if, if I was a salaried worker, like I was earning a paycheck. Cause sadly I don't, I work, I work for myself, which I love, but I don't earn a, someone's not paying me a paycheck on the regular, but let's just pretend you make a hundred grand a year. Well, keep, you know, if you keep 10% of your salary sitting in liquid cash all the time, there's 10 grand, right? Yeah. Well then just keep double that amount. To make it 20% and keep that amount sitting in a bond fund or something in your 401k. And now it's the backup to your 10 grand. So if you do go lose your job, your tax rates are going to go way down when that happens. When that happens, you could potentially use that as a backup if you really needed to. You even pay a penalty when you do that, but you're paying a penalty at a lower tax rate. Probably not going to hurt you forever and it lets capital work for you more aggressively. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not totally opposed to that for your 401k question, but you need to have some cash sitting in have a, something. Sitting yeah, in yeah. a bank account <laughs> Sorry, so that you're okay. Example. Uh, no, no, it's not, not a bad example at all. It's a great question. Having some... having a way to access cash if needed. You can't have everything tied up in a home or in an illiquid investment. There's going to be times where you need cash unexpectedly. Yeah. Um, have a place where you can pull that from. Yeah, which that's where another place um, could be your HSA account, right? So like if you have right. it in your HSA and, and you've been using normal cash flow to pay for everything, you could go back to it and be like, hey, can I? Can you reimburse me for all this stuff I've been keeping track of? Yeah. Cool, thanks. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. multiple ways to do it, but just have it somewhere. Yep. 
So I would say my my like kind of rules of thumb on that are if you're a, a salary employee, let's see ten percent liquidity ideally mm-hmm. in a bank account. If you're a if you're like me and you're a business owner or you're um, working as a contractor, let's let's bump that up more. Let's put it more like twenty percent. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you you may have cash flow may not be as as regular. Yeah, and and, and we talked about in the episode where we talked about how much should I have in my emergency fund? Different ways to look at this. It can be 10 to 20% of your income. It can be three to six months of living expenses. Yep. Probably the best approach is understanding kind of a more specific thing for you. But those are those are different ways to think about how much you should have in liquidity. Right. That was episode 19. And I think we might've even gave the example of like a tenured professor, right? Where like you just can't get fired anymore. Yeah. Well, now like your liquidity funds should like zero. Right. <laughs> you know, like- like you're going to get a paycheck. Yes. Um, but you still, even then you might want to have some, have something in case there's an unexpected expense. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, from there, let's say number three, um, if you have any consumer debts or what we would probably term bad debts, pay them off. Yeah. So number three, pay off all credit card and consumer debt. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we, so in all honesty, it's, it's really knowing the difference between what we would call bad debt, good debt and what's acceptable. Yeah. What, what would you say the difference is? What's a good debt? What's a bad debt? How do I know the difference? Yeah, like a, a debt that we typically love as financial planners are like mortgages, right? Like a mortgage, you, you, get, you get the inflation growth of your house. You get to borrow money from people inexpensively. Mm-hmm. The interest rate never goes up. Right. Um, and you get a mortgage interest deduction. Amazing. Right. We love that, right? Right. Um, using a credit card to go on a trip to like, you know, with my family to Hawaii when I don't have money to pay for it, not a good idea, yeah. right? That's that's bad debt, yeah. right? Where I'm using my, my I'm loaning for money from a bank at probably a teen interest rate so that I can go live life. Yeah. Not not good. That that $5,000 trip just turned into a $6,000 trip or more with the interest you're going to pay to right. pay that off. Uh, I think another good debt, it can be student debt when it's done properly, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. like, Going to NYU to become a, a public school teacher and spending $300,000 in student loan debt, probably not the best move. But, you know, using some student loan debt to get through college can make a lot of sense. Yeah, I like to think of it as are, uh, the debt you take out, is it going into something that's increasing in value or not? Yep. If you take out a student loan, well, it's, it's increasing your human cal- your value over time, the value of you and your earning potential. If you take out a, a mortgage, it's to buy an asset that's going to in- increase in value over time. If you take out a loan to fund a business that your confidence is going to work, that's it's a loan that's going to uh, fund an asset that's going to increase in value. So those are all can be considered good things, whereas bad debts um, have high interest rates typically and therefore things that depreciate in value or just aren't increasing your overall net worth. Yes, which there was actually an article the other day about how car loans, there's so many 60 and 72 month car loans now mm-hmm. where people are going into the dealership to get their next car and they're rolling um, their essentially negative equity into, yeah. into their new car. <laughs> and it's just like, no, guys, don't let's not do that. Yes, let's let's not do that. Be smart with your debt. Yes. But although like a car loan to get you to work every day, not necessarily a bad thing, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like. Not necessarily. It's kind of a sliding over, scale of good and bad, and there's yeah, stuff there's in a between. lot. There's gray in there. Okay, so but um, the the takeaways of if we're going to grade ourselves A through F on sufficient liquidity, go think about the. Do you want to have three to six months, or ten percent, or twenty percent of your income? Go see what you have. Figure out one step you're going to take to get yourself there. And if you have any debts that you would consider bad, 
that you need to go pay down, um, mark them up. Figure out what you have and then figure out what your pay down strategy is going to be for those. Go get after it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so number four, um, own the right sized home. Ooh, how many square feet is the right sized home? It's a good question. I don't know the answer. <laughs> now, is it square feet? Is it price? Is it, uh, what, what do you mean by right sized home? Yeah. So we actually just did this in episode 21 of, is your house a good investment? Right. And we talked about that. Um, owning a home does have some benefits, right? We, we've looked at, we weighed the, the pros and cons on that, on that show. Like I like owning my own home, for instance. But one of the things, what we really mean there by right-sized home is don't overbuy, right? Don't buy a house that's too expensive compared to the amount of income that you make as a family so that you can't really afford to live. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't even know if we dove into it that deeply, but one of the things that happens with younger couples, you want to go buy a house, you kind of stretch to go buy the house and then as soon as you get in there, you probably want to have kids, but you didn't really think about like the cost of having kids along with the cost of having a home. Yep. Like you need full-time, uh, you know, full-time care for a nanny around here can be really pricey or daycare even or preschool. Mm-hmm. And it's like all those things get stacked in. So don't go buy too much of a house. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I like, it. I think, uh, understanding that it, it, it Rent isn't necessarily just throwing your money away. Like save up to buy a home that you can afford. And if you need to rent for some time to do that, then so be it. But be in a position where you can buy a home where if you down the road turn into a um, just solo income household because one spouse is staying at home when you start a family. Or if, if uh, something else comes up, you don't want to be house poor, which means that so much of your income is going to pay for the house that you can no longer save for long-term goals. You can no longer do other things um, along the way because – all you can do is pay your mortgage. Exactly. And so the like in a lot of parts of the country, the right size home is probably like two to two and a half times your income. Mm-hmm. And then there's neighborhoods where that's just not the case. Yes. Right? Like around here, that's not going to be the case. What would you, so for our listeners in San Diego where we are, what do you think is a better rule of thumb for that? Probably like three to four times. Four times is probably stretching it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think James and I both did the CFP curriculum. There was always a uh, kind of a, uh, a rule of thumb built into the CFP curriculum that if you take your gross income and multiply by 28%, you want all of the costs associated with the home to fall into that number. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that can be a stretch to yeah. hit around here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not just principal and interest payment. It's property taxes. It's maintenance. It's there's a lot of stuff. That it can goes be Melrose, Melrose, HOA, all these different things. Yeah, yes. HOAs can be expensive, but that's that's a good way to think of it. Yeah, so own the right sized home, making sure that the payment or the the cost of owning that home uh, fits within your income. Yep. Awesome. Um, so we're almost there. One through four. Yep. Number five. The grand finale. Honestly, I think it's one of the most important ones, and I think it's one that most people don't invest in. Mm. Invest in your career. Got it. What do you mean invest in my career? Like throw money back at it? How do I invest in my career? What I mean, what I mean by that is when, when clients sit down with us and they talk about we have that life insurance discussion. Do I need life insurance, right? The, the reason people need life insurance is because they have this two different types of capital. Financial capital sitting on a balance sheet. And almost always if you're younger, 
all of your capital is sitting inside of you is human capital, right? Mm-hmm. It's what you're going to go. It's what you're going to go earn for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Like just being done with school and thinking that you're done is kind of sad to me. Like w- go invest in yourself, go to conferences, go to continuing educations, um, go figure out how to be a better version of yourself in whatever prof- profession that you love. Because if you do that, you're going to create opportunities for yourself to create more financial capital for yourself, yeah. which is more freeing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there, there's the personal benefits, which alone can be incredible. But yes, when we're talking about financial planning and investing and doing all these things, it's your income that's driving all that. So the more income you can ultimately create down the road, the more opportunities you're going to have to do things like buy a home or like save for retirement or like be financially free at some point. So the more you can invest in your income and your career, I should say the more you invest in your career, the more your income is going to tend to increase over time. Yeah. And sometimes I think this is stuff that I think people don't really, it doesn't hit them until you get older and you look back on it. But it's it's networking with your coworkers and your friends and staying up to date with what other people in your industry are doing and you know like having those coffees and those beers with people mm-hmm. to be interconnected so that when new opportunities come up at a new company you're there and can make yeah. that leap from one you know one lo- you've been at the first company and you've made three got three raises and three promotions but you never got the big income bump yeah. and then your buddy just went over to the new company and you jump in and you get the 20% bump yeah. like it's that stuff well and it's that stuff because this step number 5 investing in your career that's what ultimately makes number 1 through 4 happen your your income goes up okay now you can pay yourself first more now you can have sufficient liquidity now you can pay off credit cards and consumer debt now you can buy the right home and that home can be bigger and still be the right sized home so yes this yeah. is so so important because it's going to drive your ability to do everything else yeah i mean the, the pro tip for number five is like set a reminder on your calendar at work on like four o'clock or four thirty on a friday open up a google doc and write down the things that you did that week that were above and beyond what you're supposed to do in your job. Mm-hmm. So when you go into your annual review with your, your boss, you can remind them how amazing you are relative to everyone else and why you should get a 5% raise instead of a 3% raise. Because mm-hmm. if you go do that again and again and again, what that does to your lifetime income and your net worth far surpasses anything else you can do for yourself. Yeah, financial planning gets, I shouldn't say easy, but a lot easier when your, your income can support everything you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, and then, so you grade that, how you, you mentioned grade A, a yeah, to F. And then how, do you, how, how do you grade that for yourself? Like, I guess if I was looking at it from an individual standpoint, like, do I have a really strong network of people in the career and space that I love? If I don't, what are things I can do to go improve upon that? Have I been tracking what I've been doing at work? Have I been going above and beyond the duties that I have? And do I want to? Mm-hmm. Another good question. Am I in the right career for myself right now? Yeah. I mean, how many times have you had a professional come to you who's either, I mean, I've had it a few times, doctors, lawyers will come to me and go, you know, I'm just burnt out. Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. Well then like, cool. Don't go, don't go invest in that profession anymore, right. but let's go figure out what you do want to do. Right. And let's, now we're gonna have to change some things around in your financial life, but we can do that. Yeah. You can use your balance sheet to go retrain yourself. Yeah. Right. It's not like you have to go down the path that you're on. Right. Right. I like it. I like it. So number one, pay yourself first. Number two, have sufficient liquidity. Number three, pay off all credit cards and consumer debt. Number four, own the right-sized home. And then number five, invest in your career. Um, But the important part, again, to your point, Scott, not just knowing them, but grading yourself and understanding what's my to-do action here? What are are my notes here? How can I improve each of these steps? And those are all pretty simple things. Yeah. But I mean, if you really want to, if you really want to get after it this year, 
share this with a friend and help each other out with this. Yes. And we will have the sheet in the show notes, right? For people to be able to. Oh look yeah, we this, can so. definitely do that. Okay. Thanks to our friends at ACP for putting this one together. Awesome. Very good. Well, anything else you want to add to this, Scott? No, that's it. Very good. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to episode number 28 of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. We hope you're enjoying the show. And for the list of the resources and notes from today's episode, please head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co and find episode number 28. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and please let us know by leaving a five-star review. We love knowing what you all think and it would help more people to find our show. And finally, if you have a question that you want us to answer on a future episode, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website, and there's a section on the bottom of each page where you can submit your own question. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.